You know, as, as, um, at our church, we are really working to intentionally inject ourselves into this community. And, um, and that's why, you know, when I think about this BUILD conference that's coming up, I, I want to challenge you to really consider coming to it. You know, because regardless of where you are in the lifespan, this BUILD conference is important because it's helping us to understand the community that we live in. You may not have children or t- teenagers or, or, um, or people in that lifespan or in that stage of life, but, but I'll tell you, this is an opportunity for us to understand our, where the community where God has planted us. And that's, that's one of the reasons I want to encourage you to come, because we need to know where we are and what's going on and how God is at work and how we can respond to this city, this community, this area, this place where God has put us. And, and, and it's one of, the, uh, one of the reasons I hope that you make it a priority. There's another thing that's coming up, and I'm excited about it, and I want to mention it. At 5 o'clock today, there's a meeting and it's a, uh, a marketplace mission trip meeting. Uh, and, and there's a ministry that has been birthed out of the heart of one of our church members, and it's kind of launched out of here, and it's been amazing. It's, it's a ministry called Follower of One. Mike Henry is, is challenging believers to see their work as a mission field. And the truth is, it's brilliant. It's, 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 uh, it, it's, it's a mission trip just on Monday when you go to the work that you're already going to. And, uh, and I want to challenge you to consider uh, checking this out. At 5 o'clock today, that, that's happening. And I, and, and I hope that you think about that. Now, that's important, too. I remember learning about uh, th- that, that my everyday life is the best place to do ministry. Um, I, when I was a freshman in, in college, I, it was a dream of mine. It was a goal of mine. I wanted to be a college tennis player. And I, and I had the opportunity to go play tennis in college. And, and, in, and I found myself as a freshman in the athletic dorm at Southwestern Oklahoma State University, surrounded by a whole bunch of people who didn't know Jesus. And at that point, I did turn my face to the Lord and say, Lord, and I prayed, God, would you use me where I am? Would you use me where, we, where you planted me? Would you use me with my everyday gifts? And that's kind of the heart of this workplace mission trip. Well, I prayed that. And it's interesting, when you start praying things like that, the opportunities the Lord opens. Okay, so back then, way back in 1989, when I went to college, our college dorm room, uh, our dorm didn't have air conditioning. Neff Hall at, in Weatherford, it does now, I think, but it didn't back then. And uh, so it was not uncommon for on a nice day, all of our windows would be open in our dorm. And, and one day, it was a fall afternoon, it was like 3.30 or 4 o'clock or so, and, and uh, I hear this commotion outside and all these guys in my dorm cheering. And, and I kind of went to my window and looked out. I lived, I lived on the second floor. And I looked out, and, and these two middle school kids uh, were in a little fist fight right across the street from the dorm. And, and you know, what? like good college guys, they each guy picked a kid and was like, go get him. Come on, don't let him hit you, you know. And so they started cheering him on. Well, I look out and see this, and I think to myself, I need to go stop this fight. And so I went out by myself. I went downstairs, went out the front, and I broke up the fight. And I told these boys, come on, guys, just go on your way. They're probably best friends afterwards. I don't know, you know, middle school kids are. Um, And uh, 
And so, but, but I came back to the dorm and all the guys were going, boo, Wally. My, my nickname was Wally uh, back then. Anybody that calls me Wally, I know where they came from in my life. That was my nickname. And they were like, Wally, boo, I can't believe you broke up the fight. That was a good one. And, uh, but, but you know what? It was, I was a little embarrassed that I, you know, ruined all the fun. But I probably, you know, these guys were probably fine. It's just a middle school fight. A little, don't go get in a fight tomorrow, you guys. That's uh, cool. But, um, but it but it was a moment that I had the opportunity to just do what was right. And you know, isn't it interesting in our culture, we're drawn to conflict, we're drawn to tragedy like that, and we're drawn to, you know, someone suffering. And, and, we're, and we're not drawn to, we're drawn to just watch it and look at it. But when you think about it, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, we're, we really should be contributing to the solutions of tragedies. You know, it's really a call of our lives. We, we, when, when stuff happens, when difficulties happen, we should run into the fray and help. We should be the ones that are, are living in such a way that uh, even a lost world looks at us and says, we should go to you for, for advice, for help, for solutions. Right? That's a, the Bible has a word for that. And it's a word that we all know, but it's the word fruit. The fruit of our lives. As a, as a Christian, as, a, as God's people in this place, we should be doing things like the Build Conference, where we are learning about our community and our culture and, and learning how to engage people and, and, and learning how to be a, a church that, that seeks solutions for the problems in our culture, the conflict that's around us. When I think about our world, think about the last two weeks in our nation. You know, the last two weeks we've had, you know, um, two mass shootings in our culture. One, one of my good friends is a pastor in, o in Ohio, right where that shooting took place. I've been praying for Chad and his, you know, ministry in that time. You know, we, we've seen, if you've had a pulse and you've noticed, there's a hurricane off the East Coast here. I mean, it's relentless, the coverage. And, and we have a tendency to just kind of gawk at it and look at it. But, but as a Christian, we should be coming in, offering solutions, and be the, this is the fruit of our lives. It, it moves us to go find, uh, respond to these issues. That's interesting because this parable that we're going to look at today, it speaks to this kind of thing. It speaks to the way Christians should be responding. And it's so interesting. Now, the parables, we've been in this study, and it's a very important study for us. A parable is described, uh, it, the word actually means to cast alongside. And, and what you see in the, in the parables, it, you see Jesus casting alongside this earthly story, this story that we can relate to, and, and helping us understand this kingdom vision, this kingdom picture. And, and what God is doing for, for his children is he's helping us understand the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is at work in our lives. We get to see the kingdom of God right now. Now, when the Bible speaks of God's kingdom, it speaks of a future reality. There will be a day when we walk through that door called death or that cross that river, however you look at it, we will see God's kingdom in its full glory. And, and you know, that's going to be an amazing moment. That, so the kingdom of God describes a future experience for God's people, but it also describes something that's right now. So the kingdom of God is a, is a right now and a not yet. 
So that's kind of a picture of the kingdom. And in, in the Word, what Jesus is doing is, is he gives us pictures and visions that help resemble his kingdom. What's going to happen when we stand before God? And it's one of these moments that God opens the window of heaven and lets us see in. And this is part of the kingdom. Now, we've pushed one another to memorize the word. And this is, the, if you're new to our church or visiting our church, one of the, the disciplines that we're working on is, is to memorize the Bible with every series. There's a, there's a passage of scripture that we're challenging our church to memorize. It's Luke chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Look at it real quick with me. But in this passage that we're memorizing, it's a, another parable moment. Uh, but I think it's an interesting one where in verse 9, Luke 8, 9 through 11, when Jesus when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. And then he says, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So we see saying to his people, I'm telling you this parable so that the kingdom of God will be something that you see and understand. And I'm going to give you the secrets of the kingdom of God. Now, as, as is true with God's people since from the beginning, God's people have not been intended to keep his secrets that were revealed to ourselves. We have been called from the beginning, God's people from the beginning have been called to reveal the secrets of God to the world. And this is why we're to know our community. We're to know where we live and understand how, how where, our, where people are going and where, where God is at work in our city and in our community. And that's why these things are important. But you know what? This parable is so incredibly relevant today, and I don't want us to miss it. Look at verse 1 in chapter 13. And as we look at this parable of the barren tree, Let's first of all take a little look at what prompted Jesus to tell this parable in the first place. Verse 1, he says, There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now we can relate to this. Now here's what we know, that, that like in our country, in our city, in our state, we know what it's like to face tragedies like this. You know, when the Murrah bombing happened, Robin and I, we had uncles on both sides of our family that were in the building the day it exploded. And both of those uncles survived. When I visited, we saw their video testimony in the, in the memorial. You know, one of our deacons, Terrence, sitting right over here, his sister was killed in that bombing. We know about tragedies like this. You know, we, we've seen the... Uh, these tragedies in, in uh, the World Trade Center. I, I'll never forget the day the World Trade Centers fell. It was a Tuesday. 
And I was, at sta- I was about to make a presentation to our staff about flying our students on a mission trip to Nicaragua. And you know what? We tabled the whole trip. We didn't even go. Because I, I just, it was just so gut-wrenching to think about um, flying somewhere that day. I could not make that presentation to our staff. Because we were captivated as we saw those planes fly into the building. And then they fell. We were watching it. And I was like, oh my goodness. This is terrible. But, but, but we got to hear what Jesus is saying here. Because we have a tendency, and, and I've heard Christian leaders get up and say, oh, you know, that hurricane hit that group because God was punishing them. Or those people uh, got that disease because God was punishing them. And, and you know, I think, I've heard that. I've heard people come up to me and say, you know, like our family right now on Tuesday, I mentioned this last week if you were here. On Tuesday, my family is in this waiting period to find out what kind of tumor my sister-in-law has, if it's malignant or if it's, or if it's not. We find out on Tuesday. We've been waiting since Monday. And, and so, you know, look, tragedies happen. And, and, and I think it's very interesting and, and, and I think very important that, that we, we hear this. Because Jesus is asked uh, uh, in verse, he says, when someone asked about those Galileans that were killed by Pilate, this is an event that it is lost in history. Josephus mentioned it, but there's really not a lot of data you can find about this event. And we get this. There, this was kind of a, a passing tragedy when Pilate, he was, a, he was a ruthless guy. He killed some people, mixed their... Uh, blood with the sacrifices. And, and, and now, now these people that Jesus, were, they, they were around Jesus, they, this was pretty fresh on their mind. It was the latest tragedy. And, and Jesus was like, do you think they were more, more of a sinner than somebody else because they were killed in this way? Look at verse 3. Jesus says, no, I tell you. Repent and you will all, or you will all likewise perish, he says. They're not more treacherous or more guilty. And then, then there was a tower of Siloam that fell. This was just a, it was an accident. It was a moment that these people were killed in this accident. And it was natural for people to go, oh, well, they must have been more treacherous or, or more ungodly. And Jesus like, no, it's not the case. We need to be careful with this. Because I've heard Christian leaders get up and say that God's punishing them for some Act like that. You know what? But Jesus is saying, no, that's not the case. What's he saying? Point number one is very important. That repentance is the greatest need for every person. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. I hope that you can look back at your life and there's been a moment of repentance where you've come to Jesus. But let's understand this, that tragedies are not always divine punishments. And this is an important truth. That, that we need to understand. Now, now, notice what I said there. I want to leave it up for a second. Tragedies are not always divine punishments. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 18. We're not going to read it right now, but it's a reference. That, that, that passage definitely points, in Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 18, it points to the fact that, that if you disobey the Lord, it's not a good idea for your life. God will discipline us. We, we know this. And so you need, we need to understand, though, it's not all, when, when people die and tragedies happen, it's not always divine punishments. So we need to be careful 
that we don't label, uh, especially right now, the people that are suffering um, with the hurricane. And those that are sitting there thinking, God, thank you that it missed us. Look, that's the point of this passage is that we need to be ready at all times. Because the reality is, what I've learned as I've walked with the Lord, that, that God does not keep me from difficult circumstances. But, but I've learned that God is faithful during unexplainable tragedies and loss. And this is something I've learned, that, that the miracle of walking with Jesus is that he walks us through tough times. He walks us through difficulties. And so let's be certain and, and clear uh, that, that we need to be ready. We need to be ready to meet the Lord. And, and without apology, I, I'm not trying to scare you into, okay, man, I'm, uh, am I going to die tomorrow? I, there's, there's, a, there's a sign right now in Owasso. I drove by it, I think, yesterday. And it's, uh, I'm not going to tell you where it is, but, but it's, it's a sign that makes a claim, when you make a mistake, don't worry, there's always tomorrow. I, that's not exactly how it's worded, but it's that idea that there's always tomorrow. And folks, there's not always tomorrow. That, that is not true. Now, that's why Jesus says you need to be ready at all times. You know, it's tragic when we see these, these school shootings or these shootings, public shootings. It's tragic when we see uh, disasters happen and lives are taken. But look, we need to come to Jesus. And like I mentioned last week, repentance describes a past action in your life. That every one of us need to be able to look back at a moment that we repented of our sins and Jesus came into our lives. But it also describes a daily discipline. And this is important. You need to be ready to meet the Lord. Because none of us are promised tomorrow. And I'm not trying to scare you, but I'll tell you what, if you're not ready, you ought to be scared. You ought to be really seriously evaluating whether you're, if you're not ready to meet the Lord. And we are to live every day ready to meet the Lord. Every day. Now here's the amazing thing about Jesus is that when we come to him, he'll never turn us away, that every person who turns to Christ will be received. You know that, right? No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, that if you come to Jesus, he won't turn you away. And that's why I want to be very clear and be in front of you saying, come to Jesus. Don't wait. Don't, don't, don't come to him today. Today's the day of salvation. Now, when it comes to these tragedies, we know Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, And it is just as it is appointed for a man once to die, and after that come judgment, that, that all of us will stand before the Lord, believer and non-believer. And the Bible's clear, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord. But the point that Jesus is making before he tells this parable is that you must be ready. And I'll tell you, I, I, don't, I don't want you to miss that. I don't want to miss that. I want to live my life in such a way that every day I'm ready to meet the Lord. Every day I'm ready to meet him. 
And that's, how, that's the zone, that's the space that we should live. But let's look at this parable. This is what set it up, verse 6. And Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree and planted it in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Now point number two is also very important. Point number two is this. God pays close attention to the lives of his people. Now, God sees our lives. He sees every one of us. And now the vineyard was a common metaphor for God's people. All through the scriptures, you see this, this metaphor, this, this analogy of a vineyard and a, and a vine. And, and that is a, anytime you see that in scripture, what Jesus is talking about is his people, is in really the children of Israel. And the key to this parable is, is that Israel is the fig tree. And, and this is the place God planted. This is the world that God planted his people. And it was difficult for Jesus because he came to his people and he said, there's no fruit. I don't see fruit in the lives of my people. And it's a, there's another reference, an Old Testament reference you can look at later. Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. You can write that down and look at it later. Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. This is one of those places in Scripture where you see that metaphor of, of Israel is God's people. Or, excuse me, the vine dresser, the vine, is, is referring to the people of God. Now, what's interesting is since the beginning, God's people have had the prophets, They've had the presence of God. They've had uh, the word of God that was given to them, the Ten Commandments. They've had this from the beginning. But yet, they continued this practice of rebelling against God, of disobeying his voice, of of fighting against the prophets, of saying to the prophets, we're going to kill you. And they did. They, they They were rebellious against people who had the word of God. And this was the continual condition of their heart. And Jesus is coming, and he says this parable that, look, the, 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 the man, he had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it. He was looking for fruit, and he found none. Man, when God seeks my life, I pray he finds fruit. When God seeks our church, I pray he finds fruit. How tragic of a story for God to come and see us and say there's no fruit there. Folks, there are churches that are planted in places by God and they have no fruit. I don't want that to be us. There are Christians who are living their lives that know Jesus and there is no fruit. Come on. So what does he say? Verse 7. He said to the vine dresser, look, for three years, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. 
Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Okay, goodness gracious. I don't want God ever to say, I planted this church here 72 years ago, I believe. Oh, man. They're taking up space in the ground I planted them. I pray that never is the case. You see in this passage two things. You see the threat of imminent judgment for God's people. You also see something really beautiful. You see that God continues to offer mercy in the midst of it. But here's the thing. Fruit and fruitlessness is a condition that God notices. God pays attention to the fruit of our lives. And it's amazing to me how, how often we are tempted to live in such a way that God doesn't see what we do and how we live. I see this. I, I see the temptation. I mean, I mean, here's the danger of our church. We're pretty good. We're pretty good. But are we settling for good and not living by faith? All right, um, I realize that there, there are pastors who are uh, friends of mine that would give their right arm, if they could, to be at a church like, like this. I realize that. We are so blessed. But can I be honest with us? Most of us are still not being faithful with all that God has given to us, with our tithes and our offerings. That's one area that is a stronghold in Tulsa because we are passionate about our stuff and we hold on to it tightly. And one of the things that we're going to see, just to prepare you, as we get into these parables, so many of these parables are dealing with our stuff. So we need to get ready for this because it's not my words, it's Jesus' parables. But are, are you honoring the Lord with the way you live and give and serve? We need to ask that. God sees the fruit of our lives. Fruit and fruitlessness is a condition that God notices. And all through the scriptures we see this. But I said there's a second thing that God sees that we see here in this parable, we see God's patience, how God's patience and his mercy moves us to follow him. He's patient with us. Aren't you grateful for the patience of God? I'm grateful that God is patient, has been patient with me in times that I've been rebellious, in times that I've been disobedient. That, and, and I've found that his patience and his mercy, it moves me not to, uh, oh, look, I can get away with a lot. No, it moves me to repentance. It moves me to walk with him. And you see this in verse 8. He says, this, this uh, tender of the garden, of the, of the vineyard, he says, he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Now Jesus 
Think about Jesus. He's coming into God's people at a time that they have, they have gone through 400 years of silence, of, that they have rebelled against the prophets so much, and Jesus comes and he says, you've got a little more time because now I'm going to come and go to the cross for you and I've come to rescue you myself. And in here in this parable, you see this beautiful patience and mercy of God as, as he says, look, I'm going to help you. Look, look we're going to work this. We're going to give this a little more time. So we're going to dig up around this tree. We're going to put some manure on it. So there's a poop theme through this whole service, right? I mean, Brandon, you know, we're so good, man. We're good here. That's not anywhere in my notes. That's just for free. I just thought of that. That's great. First service didn't get that. But we need that. Patrick Bates over here is like Yoda when it comes to uh, yards. Okay, he, He's like, his yard looks so good, and we're all jealous, and we have a group of staff members that we're all keeping, uh, like, talking trash about how good our yards look. And, 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 and all I do is do what Patrick says. He, he told me, hey, you get some fertilizer on this thing. So yesterday, guess what? I, I mowed the yards. Man, it's looking so good. And I edged everything, and then I went got some fertilizer. Put those little white things on. I don't know what they are. But Patrick told me to do it, so I did it. And guess what, man, it's, it's, it's like, like in my mind, I'm like, ooh, look at that. I walked out this morning, I was like, ooh, yeah, I put my foot in it, I walked around. Oh, this is good. And, and see, that fertilizer feeds it. And so how do we make sure that we're fruitful? How do we do this? Well, let's fertilize. Let, let's, let's, let, let's learn a little bit. Well, there's... Point number three is this. Jesus pushed us to live fruitful and ready to meet him. He, he's pushing us to be a church that's fruitful. He's pushing us to be, to be ready on a, on a moment's notice to, to meet him face to face. And that's how I pray we live as a church. That's how I pray the rest of our lives we can be together and say, we're going to make sure that we're in the middle of God's will in this place, that we are living by faith, not by sight. And the reason that we need to be faithful financially, because, look, we got work to do. Folks, we had, I don't know the number. I'm going to mess up because preachers make up numbers all the time, so I'm not going to do that. We had a bunch of Hispanic folks that came to our ELL class Wednesday night. And if we don't start an Hispanic service by next year, we will be disobedient. God. We better start this. We better get going. Folks, um, we got work to do. And and when I think about for us to be a church that says we're going to hold one another accountable to be fruitful, to be fruitful believers, to be a fruitful church, to, to because God expects us to be fruitful. God expects you to be a fruitful believer. We've got to be ready to meet him. You've got to be ready to meet him every day so that if a tragedy comes in your life, you don't wake up 
in the presence of God and go, oh man. None of us want to be in the presence of God and have that moment saying, Lord, man, I wish I'd have taken you seriously. Let's, let's take him seriously on this side of eternity so that we can stand before the Lord and go, Lord, I gave it all I had. I gave him my best. I swung for the fence. You know, that's a baseball analogy. Like I need to explain that in this town. But look, we got to be ready to meet him. How do we do this? Well, I, there's a couple of things, four things I want to give you real quick. Turn to God daily. If we're going to be fruitful, we need to turn to God daily. Daily, we're turning our face to the Lord. Lord, what do you have for me? Lord, how can I serve you? This is why this marketplace ministry is so valuable. It teaches us to turn to God daily when I go to work. That, that day when I was at the dorm, I, I was thinking, okay, I, I probably ought to respond to this thing. And, and I had turned to the Lord, and God said, get off your rear and go do that. And, you know, even the, even the biggest knothead in the dorm was probably me, but, um, but could say, yeah, that's probably the right thing to do. You know, the, the, turn to the Lord. Let's do this on a daily basis. Um, be quick to repent. That's another thing. Now, now, now we're, we're quick to repent. We're quick to respond to the Lord. We're quick to come to him with our junk. We're honest about the way we're living. We're, we're honest about our sin. You know, um, we got to be quick to repent and quick to move when God moves us, quick to respond to the voice of the Lord. And this is just what it looks like. To, to, this is what that manure does for us. This is what produces fruit in us, is we're quick to repent. We're honest about our sin. We also work to understand God's word. I mean, we work at understanding his word. We work at digging into what it says. And we're going to take time to, to look at what his word says. Let his word shape us. We need to understand the parables of Jesus and how they make sense, and how they fit in our lives. How uh, We need to know these secrets of his kingdom, and we need to share these secrets of the kingdom. And boy, that's where I want to be. That's where we must be. We work to understand God's word. Uh, lastly, we closely connect with God's people. That's, those are just four things. We connect with God's people in a close, close, closely. And, and man, there's, there's power in connecting with God's people. Um, so many stories I could think about. One that came to my mind for today is um, years ago, I was at another church, Council Road Baptist Church. I served there for a long time. And, and uh, a friend of mine, really close friend of mine, had a real public failure. It was on the news, kind of public embarrassing and I ran to his house and he called me and I'm sitting with his family it was really terrible that was a Thursday on Saturday we worked through some things I was with him all weekend and on Saturday he calls me and says hey should I go to church tomorrow because I don't really want to go to church tomorrow and I said man you need to come to church tomorrow and um, 
It was embarrassing. Word had spread. A lot of people knew. And um, I walk into church with him. And one of our senior adult guys, who's just a rock, walked up to us, walked up to him, looked at him, and then just hugged him and said, hey, I love you, and we're with you, and we're going to help you. And I was never so proud to be at a church like that in the midst of our junk and failures and struggles that we, we walk with each other through it. You know what, I, what was so beautiful about that is that's how Jesus treats us. We think, oh God, I can't be honest about my, I screwed up. But you know what you discover when you come to the Lord in sincerity honesty. God doesn't look at us like, oh, man. God, I'm so glad you're home. Some of you have not been home for a while. Can I just stand in front of you and say, come on, it's time to come home. It's time to surround yourself with the people of God and grow fruit in your life that honors the Lord. So it's an invitation time. It's time for an invitation. And I love them. There are times I stand here all by myself, and I care less, though I want you to come. But I don't get disappointed if I'm standing here by myself. But I really think we ought to move today. And I don't know what God has said to you, but I pray you listen to him and you allow, you allow him to move you.